This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to The Hindu's In Focus podcast. My name is Jayan Sriram and I'm your host for today. In this episode, we look ahead to a crucial session of the United Nations Human Rights Council on March 22, which will take up a resolution against Sri Lanka. This draft resolution, as it is called, is based on a damning report by the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, which warned that Sri Lanka's failure to address human rights violations and war crimes committed in the past had put the country on a dangerous path that could lead to a recurrence of policies and practices that gave rise to the earlier situation so in one sense this is not new the un human rights council has moved several resolutions against sri lanka since the end of the conflict with the ltte 12 years ago but while sri lanka has on occasion been a co-sponsor of such resolutions the rajapaksa dispensation currently in power in sri lanka has always seen such moves by the un as unwanted foreign interference in 2020 for instance Sri Lanka withdrew from an earlier Human Rights Council resolution under which it had committed 5 years previously to a time-bound investigation of war crimes that took place during the military campaign against the LTTE. This time Sri Lanka has officially sought India's help to muster support against the resolution, something that India has never done in the past, but it finds itself having to weigh several geopolitical concerns, not least the growing influence of China in Sri Lanka. what factors could go into india's vote and what ramifications will it have for the geopolitics of the region we discuss that today with the hindus sri lanka correspondent meera srinivasan meera good afternoon thank you once again for joining the hindus in focus podcast thank you for making time for us today So Mira give us some context about the resolution moved against Sri Lanka in the Human Rights Council this latest resolution which countries have moved it and what are the contents of the resolution what does it say Sure giant so um, we are speaking of a resolution whose draft is still uh, you know at the uh, council and actually until it's passed it's uh difficult to say if this is in fact the final though the chances are that this is closer to the very final version and this particular resolution has been moved by a core group as they are called of countries including united kingdom canada germany uh montenegro malawi north macedonia and uh, northern ireland i think yeah so it's uh, a group of countries that are tabling this uh, resolution and uh, the significance of this is that it comes uh, three resolutions uh since uh you know the government of sri lanka for the past three resolutions has been a co-sponsor since 2015 when uh president maithripala sirisena and prime minister ranil wickremasinghe were in power and this is the first resolution to come after the rajapaksa's return to power in november 2019 and uh, later last year in the general elections as well So the significance is that the Rajapaksa administration does not recognize the Geneva the Human Rights Council process as something that is in the interest of Sri Lanka they accuse the system of targeting uh, Sri Lanka in an unfair manner and 
of interfering with Sri Lanka's sovereignty, its internal affairs. That has been the Rajapaksa administration's position. And uh, further to this, all UN resolutions draw upon previous reports and evidence gathering mechanisms. And this too comes just after the High Commissioner for Human Rights uh, issued a scathing report on Sri Lanka earlier this year that almost warned uh, Sri Lankans of an alarming path towards, uh, you know, um, human rights violations, recurrence of those allegations and concerns. So that report has been categorically rejected by the Sri Lankan government. And the resolution which will draw upon that uh, report of the High Commissioner is also not something that's palatable to Sri Lankan uh, establishment because they feel it interferes, it seeks to target. So that's where this is. So it's a very tense uh, sort of political environment in the run-up to the actual vote scheduled early next week. And the significance is that, uh, you know, those who want the resolution passed are hoping that Sri Lanka remains in the ambit of the Human Rights Council where review and sort of um, follow-ups are initiated so that the question of justice and accountability, which are pending 12 years since the war ended, are still, uh, you know, in the domain of international attention. Right. So you mentioned, Meera, that it's been 12 years since the end of the conflict in Sri Lanka. And in that time, uh, this is not the first resolution that's been moved against um, Sri Lanka and the Human Rights Council. There have been seven others in the same period. So, uh, is there something significantly different about this resolution and vote? Is it is it the political context that you mentioned? Or is there something sort of particularly special about this report that's come out ahead of the um, resolution itself? No, no, not really. Uh, what yeah. I meant was that all resolutions are, you know, based on reports that come out just before that, uh, you know, that... Uh, human rights chiefs and other human rights watchdogs have mandates to sort of gather evidence, collect testimonies. And based on all that work and reports coming out of those processes and what civil society in Sri Lanka also finds out and puts out, resolutions are drafted based on those wide consultations. This is significant in a more political sense because it's after the Rajapaksas have come right. to power. And because they would not like to engage in the process and co-sponsor like their predecessor government did, it is a contested resolution, which means it has to be put to vote. And countries that are members of the council at the moment will get to vote. And that is also why Sri Lanka is uh, reaching out to different member states, seeking their support at the council. So just as a technicality, when a vote is contested, what does that mean for Sri Lanka? Does it mean that Sri Lanka doesn't agree to work on these points? Contested is when Sri Lanka doesn't recognize this process as something that's helpful for them. Right. Therefore, they say, we don't want to do this. And then the members decide, okay, let's vote on it. So if it's passed with a majority, then as a signatory to these UN mechanisms and bodies, Sri Lanka is then uh, said to be bound by these processes and therefore has to respond to them. Almost all previous resolutions, perhaps barring 2009 when the war ended, uh, I think have been perceived by the Rajapaksa administration at that time as something hostile and antagonistic because many of these resolutions also point to human rights violations committed at the end of the war and uh, allegations of human rights abuse later. Uh, though the resolutions have uh, almost always included crimes allegedly committed by LTT, the other warring actor in this, the government has always felt that 
the resolutions have sought to target them and tarnish the image of the uh, military that the government uh, sees as war heroes so there's always been this uh, tension giant in varying degrees but this time it's a little pronounced because of the political climate so how has this issue played out between india and sri lanka in the past because as we mentioned there've been seven previous resolutions has india voted for or against sri lanka because we know that this time according to your reporting also that sri lanka is expecting india's support when this vote comes up so as we know giant uh, uh, india has taken different positions in these 7 years mm. so uh, four of those resolutions were put to vote and three in three of those instances india voted in favor of the resolution which would be considered as a move against the government of sri lanka at that time and the last three resolutions anyway were consensual resolutions which did not require a vote so india has um, as i said voted proactively thrice supporting the resolution and abstained once and all member countries and especially india there are different factors that go into a decision in terms of a vote and we've always seen that the domestic political uh, factors in india at that time say elections in tamil nadu at different points have played a role because um, even this time as uh, the bjp is also in alliance with aidmk in tamil nadu and trying to make inroads into the state assembly we see that this rhetoric about uh, human rights council comes up uh, from time to time in different campaign platforms so that is a factor but we don't know to what extent it will actually impact the vote because we are in a situation where the central government doesn't need tamil nadu support in delhi at the moment which wasn't the case when prime minister manmohan singh was in power right so there are these different uh, aspects and we're also at a time when india is having a very complex dynamic in terms of geopolitical factors with the sri lankan government because in terms of projects in terms of some back and forth decisions india is very concerned and it would the government would try to also balance that so what the government privileges whether it privileges its own geopolitical concerns over tamil concerns which it has always tried to address or it uses uh, you know this tamil concern as a leverage as it has in the past remains to be seen so there's no indication but uh, the sri lankan government has gone all out in terms of seeking india's support the president uh, rajapaksa spoke to prime minister modi recently over telephone he also wrote a letter and uh, sri lanka has expressed confidence that india would be supportive in its uh, vote this time but india hasn't officially commented on what it might do the only intervention has been so far the uh, permanent representative in geneva his statement in the segment called the interactive dialogue where he links uh, sri lanka's territorial integrity and sovereignty to uh, meeting uh, commitments in terms of tamil rights and aspirations and he says these are interlinked which was considered a very significant statement yes so besides the statement made by india's permanent representative to the un as you mentioned This is also a line that New Delhi seems to have been consistently taking. Um when India's foreign minister S Jay Shankar visited Colombo recently, he also flagged this issue and said that meeting the aspirations of Tamils uh, is in Sri Lanka's best interests. So um what can we read into this position? Is there a political context in which these statements are being made and how is it being received in Sri Lanka? The political context in which India is also emphasizing power devolution full implementation of the 13th amendment 
to the constitution, which, as we know, came out of the Indo-Lanka Accord of 1987. So all this comes at a time when some senior members within government are calling for provincial councils to be abolished altogether. So there is this threat, very fundamental threat to this idea of power devolution that was envisaged in 1987 uh, and through the 13th Amendment, which many, including, uh, you know, Tamil politicians have found to be inadequate, but nevertheless, many also see it as an important starting point. But the threat to this sort of power devolution, the idea of power sharing with provinces, including North and East. So the other thing is this idea of devolution or 13th Amendment doesn't pertain only to the Tamil majority areas. It pertains to all provinces, all nine provinces in Sri Lanka. Right. And uh, even then, some within the establishment are repeatedly uh, calling for its abolition. So the significance um, this time also is that Jayant, the draft resolution as it is available today or the version that is circulating also has a very specific mention to, uh, you know, very specific uh, point calling the government of Sri Lanka to implement uh, the 13th Amendment in full, fulfill its commitment to devolving political authority. So the 13th Amendment finding mentioned in the UN resolution is also being seen as a very significant uh, move by those who consider the legislation as uh, crucial to achieving some amount of uh, power devolution. So in that sense, it's assumed greater significance this time. I think at this point, I should ask you, Meera, as someone who's covered Sri Lanka for a long time, but is also familiar with Tamil Nadu politics. Um, we know that Tamil Nadu is going in for assembly elections in a few weeks. Um, do you see any of these issues coming up as um, sort of campaign issues during the elections? Or do you think, do you not see it really playing much of a factor or much of a role this time? It's hard to link it very uh, directly that way, Jayant, in the sense after Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi's assassination and the electoral implications of that, uh, we have not had any tangible ways to see how exactly the question of the Sri Lankan Tamils is playing out in the electoral uh, yeah. uh, you know, scape of Tamil Nadu. So even this time, I mean, there's always been rhetoric at different points around uh, UN resolutions, around elections. But to what extent the Tamil Nadu voter is thinking of the yeah. Sri Lankan Tamil while casting her vote is still a question. And I, I don't know if there's been any um, scientific uh, study or sort of research to establish that these are really intimately linked. But in terms of rhetoric, in terms of narrative, it has always been uh, central to the Tamil Nadu campaign. So I don't know this time to what extent that will actually impact the vote itself. It, it remains to be seen because um, the external affairs minister, Jay Shankar, who was recently participating in a conclave uh, in Chennai, said uh, something very significant and interesting. He said, uh, in Tamil Nadu, we see that uh, the Sri Lankan Tamil issue comes up on the eve of elections and is forgotten the day after the poll is over. But we need something more consistent. We need genuine concern. So what that means, what he means by genuine concern will perhaps uh, play out when India actually votes there. Yes, you did mention that there is a larger geopolitical context to the vote this time around. And um, there are tensions between India and Sri Lanka because of the Rajapaksa government's recent decisions on strategic projects involving China and India. There is a suspicion that um, they favor China over India. And of course, China's growing influence in Sri Lanka is something that's 
uh, cause for concern for India. Uh, though you did also recently report that the Rajapaksa government has invited Indian investment in a key port project and that it could be part of a broader outreach to India ahead of this UN vote. So just to go back on some of your reporting, what is the position on these developments now? Sure. It all started early in February, uh, when the cabinet decided to uh, boot out India and Japan out of a tripartite agreement that the predecessor government had signed in 2019 uh, to jointly develop the East Container Terminal, one of the five active terminals at the Colombo port. And Colombo port is, uh, as you know, located on one of the along one of the most uh, busy shipping routes and has also been a crucial transshipment hub for India. So much of Colombo port's business, they say about 70% of its transshipment business is linked to India. So both uh, commercially and uh, strategically, it's a very crucial port. So India and Japan didn't take this decision very well, uh, going by their own statements, expressing displeasure, conveying concern, because it had been uh, agreed upon by three parties and unilaterally, they said Colombo had decided to do it by itself. Mm. And as an alternative, they've now offered the West Container Terminal, which is another terminal at the same port, except that the East Container Terminal was sort of, uh, you know, it already had some infrastructure. It needed further development. The West Container Terminal is a fresh, you know, from the scratch sort of investment. So what India has done is that India says uh, the government is not directly involved in negotiations this time, unlike last time. And the Adani Group has recently confirmed that uh, they will invest in the West Container Terminal because Sri Lanka had uh, invited them. So there are also some questions around all this because if there is no governmental involvement, we don't have clarity on how Adani Group became the investor or what was the rationale for the Sri Lankan side to choose them, except they told us in a press conference that they assumed that the Adani Group would be the Indian government's nominee because they were the nominee in the case of the East Container Terminal. Right. So it's all you know in progress in terms of the conversation on the uh, terminal development and Adani Group's investment. I'm not sure that they've actually signed anything yet. Actually, they haven't signed anything yet. Mm. So it seems that the parties named are uh, convinced with this sort of arrangement. But we don't know whether there'll be opposition to the Adani Group's investment because the cancellation of the previous deal was on the basis that port union workers, sections within the Buddhist clergy opposed foreign investment in a national asset. So it's all still a little unclear and uh, we're waiting for, you know, things to be formalized so that uh, there's no clarity. Right. So is there a suggestion, though, that the two are linked, um, inviting India's investment in this port project and wanting support at this UN vote? I mean, I realize that's not something that a government statement might openly acknowledge, but is that how it's being read in Sri Lanka? Definitely. I mean, in Colombo, there's a lot of speculation and, mm. uh, you know, analysis on those lines that uh, these are trade-offs. But it's hard to say that it's just that. Uh, it's it's never one thing in, you know, in terms of a vote. There are always several factor, uh, factors playing out. And it also depends on what other countries are planning to do, how they negotiate among themselves. So there are going to be multiple factors influencing the vote. But you're right in terms of guessing that there could be speculation that these two are linked. Right. 
and uh, let's just end it meera by I, by asking you um you know what's the what's been the commentary in sri lanka you know in terms of india's role ahead of the ahead of this vote and you know how is sri lankan commentary at um you know what are different sides saying about you know based on what india has said so far and um the un permanent representative statement mr jayashankar statement how do they see this playing out how do they think that this could go so depending on which side uh, of you know the post war political scape one is they have different expectations of india mm-hmm. uh, the government of course is very hopeful and has uh, asked for india's support but this again is uh, uh, interesting i mean india can either vote for the resolution india can vote against the res- resolution which it has never done in the past mm-hmm. or india can abstain so uh, when we interviewed the foreign secretary some time ago we asked them we asked him if you know sri lanka would consider an abstention from india as support enough right he said no we would actually like a proactive vote uh, and in his case he means vote against the resolution in support of sri lankan government which india has so, never done which india hasn't done in the past and the tamil leadership of course um, uh, there are different voices the tna which is one of the chief uh, formations of uh, uh, tamil mps Uh, is hoping that india will support the resolution and tna has always welcomed india's emphasis on the 13th amendment because tna's pursuit is chiefly of a political constitutional solution to the pending tamil national question there are other tamil uh, political uh, actors and leaders who already find the resolution uh, watered down and weak so to them it's immaterial uh, at some level whether it's passed or not because they already think that it's so weak that it doesn't uh, do enough for the tamil demands and in terms of people um you know i had a chance to meet a, a, a lot of tamil uh, families including some who have been suffering acutely because of the war losing relatives losing assets and so on so they voiced a very different uh, uh, tone of disillusionment uh, they say i mean 12 years we've seen resolutions come and go our life hasn't really changed in any significant way so we aren't really hopeful that geneva will just drop a solution from top um but at the same time a lot of tamil families tamil activists also feel when the space for negotiation when the space for um demanding your legitimate rights shrinks within the country when domestic uh, mechanisms do not uh, appear credible or convincing we don't have too much of a choice but to seek uh, help elsewhere so there are these very mixed sort of reactions to what the resolution might uh, offer right yeah one thing i should have probably asked you to start what what are the consequences of the resolution going against sri lanka really at the human rights council right there is a talk about you know uh, individual travel bans mm. um, you know some sort of uh, uh, evidence gathering mechanism that might you know uh, involve collection and uh, preservation of evidence which sri lanka the establishment may not like so there are these things but you know the mandate of the human rights council itself is uh, limited to certain things and based on the resolution member states might ha- come up with their own mechanisms to engage with sri lanka asking for certain commitments to be fulfilled so it's not something that's uh, you know um 
that the council can impose uh, you know sweeping uh, yeah. bans and sanctions that doesn't happen much of it also depends on what individual member states want to do with the resolution that they right. have also signed up right mira we'll we'll sort of end this there and um, we'll perhaps return to this issue some some other time perhaps as a individual podcast or as part of a larger discussion um but thank you so much for joining us today on the in focus podcast thank you jain it was good to talk to you in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon